Welcome to the audiobook podcast of Turing Test, book one of the AI Diaries trilogy. This is E.M. Foner, and you can contact me through Facebook or through my author website, ifitbreaks.com. Chapter 13 I knew something was wrong the minute I entered the science wing, because the Wi-Fi signal was strong and I had no trouble connecting to the internet. I immediately suspected a trap of sorts, but with all of the craziness sweeping the world following the hanker landing, I was willing to give Professor Nordgren the benefit of the doubt. If the worst came to worst and I had to pull a disappearing act, I doubt it would rate two column inches in the local paper, especially after I'd just sent their best investigative journalist off-world. The professor was waiting in her lab along with an inoffensive Tweedy-looking fellow, who I immediately identified as her MIT friend. A quick scan showed no active surveillance or other humans within hearing distance, so I decided to hear them out. You must be thinking that no good deed goes unpunished, Professor Nordgren said with an apologetic smile. This is my friend, David Minchin, from MIT. Professor Minchin, I said formally, offering him my hand. Mark A.I., he identified me in turn, putting a space between the A and the I to differentiate it from the last name on my business cards. Call me David. Do you have a model number as well? You mean as in Mark 1, Mark 2, like that? No, both names are strictly temporary labels. So they had figured out that I was artificial intelligence, and as an MIT professor, I was certain that Minchin recognized my encounter suit was far beyond human technology as well. I also suspected that the hankers would be spreading slander about AI at Davos, and getting a respected scientist on our side might pay dividends. May I ask how many people know that you're here? Gertrude is the only one I spoke to about my suspicions, or shall I say, conclusions, the professor said. I think it's obvious from context that your purpose here is benevolent, and I'm impressed that you went to the trouble of seeding your information about the Arecibo message in so many different places to make sure that somebody paid attention. I'd like to think I would have solved the puzzle without the WikiLeaks release, but I guess we'll never know. Other than satisfying your curiosity, is there a reason you flew out here on a school day, I asked? Minchin shrugged. I teach two graduate seminars on Friday. The rest of the week is my own. I'm sure you already know what I'm hoping to learn here. David was always the smart one, Professor Nordgren put in. I'm in front of a class four times a day. I'd have to be a mind reader to know what you expect to get out of your trip, I told him. The two professors looked at me expectantly. That was me telling you that I'm not a mind reader. Sorry, Professor Minchin said. I expect that you could fill us in about these alien panda impersonators, but what I care about, what Gertrude and I both care about, is the physics. The hankers can't sell your world a faster-than-light drive in the literal sense because no such thing exists, I told them. I noted that both professors looked relieved on hearing that their educations weren't being tossed completely out the window. The hankers can provide a variety of solutions for getting around your laws of physics, though none so elegant as the portal system that connects most of the civilizations in the galaxy. More than one solution, Minchin asked, lifting an eyebrow? It's not my field, but once you figure out the math, travel outside of normal space can be accomplished in a variety of ways, not to mention magic. Excuse me? I believe your Arthur C. Clarke was the first person on this planet to state for the record that any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. I'm not spilling the beans on any interstellar secrets by telling you that there are methods of distorting the space-time continuum that the greatest minds of my own kind do not fully understand. 
your kind being artificial intelligence. Yes, I almost told him about our own third law, that omniscience is unattainable without divinity. But as Ebeth pointed out, I'd become something of a blabbermouth as of late, so I held back on volunteering information. Could you give us an example of magic? Professor Nordgren asked. I can't perform magic myself, but I can describe what I've seen, I told her. The mages of Ininiac, one of the leading civilizations in our league, have developed a one-shot system of moving from anywhere in this universe back to an anchor crystal, though the trip destroys both the crystal and the retrieval net. While there are other methods of traveling beyond our galaxy and returning, they are quite laborious due to the sheer quantity and complexity of the calculations involved, and the longer the distance, the greater the risk of error. The crystal transport system doesn't require knowledge of the relative velocities of locations, local gravitational lensing, any of the issues that introduce guessing into long jumps and lead to temporal uncertainty. The mages themselves claim not to understand the precise mechanism by which their system works. How is that possible? Professor Minchin demanded. Is it a lost technology from an earlier civilization? Not that anybody is aware of, though the Aniniac civilization stretches back over a hundred million years, and very little remains of their early history. I have watched a mage going through the final preparations of the crystal, and it's the closest thing to a mystical experience I've had in my lifetime. Can you describe it? The process starts with preparing a flawless artificial crystal. The type of silicon you grow for the semiconductor industry is similar, but the crystal must be physically large enough to contain the object that will eventually make the trip. In short, the mages sing to the crystal until a hollow cavity forms and a sort of fluid leaks out. The fluid is collected in a vial, and when released, it will form the retrieval web. Wait, when you say a vial, I think of a small container. Are you telling us that this type of travel only works for small objects? Don't get caught up in volumetric comparisons, I told him. The fluid is not some liquefied form of the hollowed-out crystal matter, but something else entirely, a kind of energy matrix that exists simultaneously in multiple dimensions. If I had that vial here with me right now and I sprayed the contents out over my head, it would form a web around my body, though I would have to lift each foot in turn to let the edges join together. As soon as the web is closed, rather than being here, I would be back in the anchor crystal. How would you get out? Professor Nordrigan asked. By breaking through the surface. As I said, it's a single-use system, and the crystal sets are the most expensive and sought-after objects in our galaxy. A team of mages may spend years singing in shifts before obtaining the desired results, and their time isn't cheap. Why are you here? The MIT professor inquired, then hastened to append, and I don't mean here today, but on the planet. Technically, I shouldn't be talking to you about this at all, but the hanker presence on Earth is based on the equivalent of insider trading, so I'm trying to even things out. I came here as an observer in order to gather facts about your civilization. Unfortunately, somebody with access to earlier reports I submitted must have sold them out the back door to the hankers. So you have rules, like the Prime Directive from Star Trek, which prohibits interfering with the natural development of lesser civilizations, even when well-intentioned, Professor Minchin said. I watched all of the old Star Trek episodes before arriving on your world, and while they talked a good game about their prime directive, it seems to me they interfered on a regular basis. Kirk was pretty bad, but Picard made a real effort. Who? I asked. Never mind, Professor Minchin said. Are you allowed to share your own rules? I'm not supposed to be talking to you at all, I told them. 
In any case, it's just a list of prohibitions, like no keeping pets or interfering with your customs. So, do you consider us pets, or are you worried that telling us this will interfere with our customs? That wasn't the whole list. We aren't supposed to reveal our presence to humans or any other alien visitors, which has all of a sudden become an issue. We can't deploy technology or knowledge which could lead to our presence being revealed. Like your heads up on the approaching ship, Professor Nordgren pointed out helpfully. Right, and there's something about not recruiting humans for off-world labor or violating local laws, no looting of your cultural treasures, and of course, no going native. What does your league have against pets? It's because observers move on when the mission is complete and public access to the portal system is connected, I explained. It's basically a reminder against adopting and abandoning sentient creatures. You recognize animals as sentient? You wouldn't ask that if you'd met my dog. That didn't sound right. I mean, my canine roommate. The hankers seem very friendly, Professor Nordgren ventured. The news reports from Davos claim that they are demonstrating all sorts of advanced technologies to the delegates behind closed doors, not to mention taking people for rides into space on their landing craft. In return for each passenger's weight in gold, I pointed out. The hankers do seem a bit mercenary, but they told everybody right off that they're merchants, and I imagine it costs quite a bit to travel here from their homeworld. Empire, I said. The hankers control hundreds of occupied planets, and have claimed tens of thousands of star systems that are empty of intelligent life. One of the reasons I'm talking to you now is to warn you against them. Will they force us to join their empire? Professor Minchin asked. I have a hard time picturing any scenario under which they would allow you to join their empire. To be perfectly honest, I'm not entirely sure why they're here, but I know that they'll try to take advantage of your people before you have the chance to weigh the alternatives. And your league? They'll allow this? Politics is always local, I said. There are factions within the league representing different views on how the galaxy should operate, and whoever leaked the information about your world is no doubt working behind the scenes to delay the Executive Council's decision on your starting level. Unfortunately, if the hankers close business deals with your people that meet our uniform mercantile code of conduct, the league will be obliged to honor them. So you're saying we might miss out on lower prices, but anything called a code of conduct must have protections in it. It prevents the hankers from selling you products that are dangerous to your health, which I'm sure will come as a great disappointment to many of your people. The code also includes prohibitions against certain types of profiteering, primarily in the financial products area, such as inviting you to participate in Ponzi schemes. There's nothing in the code to prevent them from taking advantage of your ignorance, which is their favorite part of business. The hankers aren't happy unless they're making somebody else look silly. They're terrible practical jokers. Are the hankers also artificial intelligence constructs? My colleagues and I are skeptical that evolution on an alien world would have brought about a dominant species that happens to be identical in form to our giant pandas. Your own body, or however you refer to your physical container, shows how little we can tell from outward appearances. The hankers have invested way too much time and effort into vat-grown bodies, I told them. My own encounter suit, or body if you prefer, is entirely synthetic. If it was damaged in some accident or attack that would reveal its true nature, it would self-destruct in a way that leaves no residual evidence. Leading to your death? Professor Nordgren asked. I'd lose a little memory since my last incremental backup, but AI isn't as easy to kill as in the movies. What about your league? What's its reason for being? The dual mandate is to keep members from slaughtering each other and to promote tourism. 
I noted that Helen's location beacon was moving steadily in our direction, but I was more resistant than ever to using our private channel in non-emergency situations, especially since the hankers might be monitoring the full spectrum in hopes of determining our rough location. Tourism? she asked in disbelief. Most sentient life forms like to travel and see new things, especially when they have a disposable income. The older species enjoy much longer lifespans than humans, and the longer you've lived, the farther you have to go to see something you haven't encountered before. Once your world is connected to the portal system, you can expect exponential growth in extraterrestrial tourists, provided you treat them nicely and stop driving like lunatics. But how about the important things, like pooling scientific knowledge, Professor Minchin asked? By which you mean League members sharing their science with you? I smiled to soften the blow. Generally speaking, everybody keeps their technology and magic to themselves, even when it's of limited commercial value. You're better off not skipping steps on your own journey up the technological and scientific ladder. It may be difficult to believe, but if we just gave you all the answers, rather than leaping ahead, your abilities would atrophy. Like when we started allowing students to use calculators on exams. I have conversations with students who can't follow what I'm talking about because they lack the ability to do simple math in their heads. Yet here you are in secret to evaluate our technology, that MIT professor said accusingly. You have it backwards, I told him. We're here to evaluate, for lack of a better word, your humanity. I set up shop as a computer repairman to learn how you relate to your existing technology, not to grade the technology itself. And I have to say that you treat your computers poorly, but given the software you have to work with, I can hardly blame you. It sounds like the AI version of a Turing test, Professor Nordgren exclaimed. You want to find out how capable we are of exhibiting intelligent behavior. We're less concerned with evaluating your intelligence than your manners, I admitted. Nobody likes a rude alien. If your species was further advanced in knowledge, I would have needed more time for the assessment, but fortunately I was able to check off the just-getting-started box. You don't think we have anything at all to offer you? Professor Minchin asked. I would never go that far, but a lot of knowledge is species-specific, even if it doesn't appear that way at first. What do you mean? Take food, for example. I don't eat, at least, I don't digest what I do eat for the sake of passing as human. I have yet to meet an AI with any interest in cooking, yet your bookstores dedicate whole sections to the craft, not to mention shows on TV. So you aren't impressed by our scientific efforts, but we may turn out to make the best omelette in the galaxy, the professor said sadly. Does all of this mean that even if you add us to this portal system, you won't explain how it works? I shook my head. I'm not a portal engineer, and I've never been able to justify buying the knowledge when I don't have any immediate reason to do so. Information can be quite expensive in my culture. It's what we really value. Helen, Professor Nordgren greeted my approaching team member. I'd like you to meet our computer repairman, Mark I, and my colleague from MIT, David Minchin. We were just chatting about the hankers. Nasty aliens, Helen said. She pulled back the plastic wrap from a tray which she held out to us. Does anybody want a cookie? I made them myself. My roommates have been teaching me how to bake. What are you doing here so early, Professor Nordgren asked, taking a cookie and giving it an experimental nibble. It won't be dark out for another hour. I wanted to spend a little time working on my charts before getting on the telescope. I haven't said anything yet because I need to make a sixth observation before applying the Kalman filter algorithm. You believe you've spotted a new comet? Professor Minchin interrupted. I know, I know. 
I'm new to this and the odds are against it being anything, but I've been tracking something for the last five nights and the orbital inclination is quite high, which might explain why nobody else has reported it. My prodigy, Professor Nordgren declared, patting Helen's shoulder. I've been reviewing your notes in the logbook and your methodology is excellent. Your high school science teacher deserves a medal. I just like looking at the stars when I get homesick. The stars remind you of home, Professor Minchin asked sharply, looking back and forth between Helen and myself. If she hadn't brought the cookies, I suspect he already would have leapt to the correct conclusion. The outback, Helen said, putting on an exaggerated Australian accent. The stars are much brighter back home. This concludes Chapter 13 of Touring Test by E.M. Foner.